right. Thank you so much. Well, as you know, Pastor Josh is out today, but I just wanted to say while I had this opportunity, next week, as you know, we're going to have a dunk tank. And um, Pastor Josh said that Pastor Joe should be in getting, getting into that dunk tank. But I really think that Pastor Josh should be in the dunk tank more often. How many believe that's true? Okay, all right. Okay, praise God. God is moving. That's good. That's good. All right. <laughs> if you have your Bibles, did you open up to Genesis chapter 14? We're going to continue in our series, Our Father Abraham. And um, Pastor Josh asked me to preach a message out of Genesis chapter 14. And so this morning, with God's help, I'm going to, uh, as we continue to look at the life of Abraham, I'm going to share what I believe the Lord has put on my heart for you today. Um, a lot of preparation, a lot to share. Hope I can get it all in in the next few minutes. Um, so open your Bibles again to four, uh, Ch Genesis chapter 14. And um, boy, um, could I ask you to stand as we read God's word together? One more time. If you're able to stand, if you have to sit down, it's okay. There's no condemnation in that. We're going to read the whole chapter. Is that okay to do in church? Read a whole chapter in the Bible? Okay. Abraham rescues Lot. Genesis chapter 14, verse 1. At this time, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Kedalomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goyim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Edma, Shemember, uh, king of Zeboim, and king of Bela, that is Zor. You almost feel like saying God bless you after saying, reading that, right? Verse 3. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Siddam, the Salt Sea. For 12 years, they had been subject to Ketalomer, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. In the 14th year, Ketalomer and the kings allied with him, allied with him, went out Uzites in Ham, and the Emites in Shava, Kiriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran, near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpat, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites, who were living in Hazazen, Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their bandolines in the valley of Siddam against Kedolomer, the king of Elam, titled the king of Goyim, Amraphel, the king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now, in the valley of Siddam, was full of tar pits. And when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. Verse 11, the four kings seized all, carried off Abram's nephew, Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped uh, who had escaped, came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Aner, all of whom were allied, allied with uh, Abram. When Abram heard that his household and Dan, during the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions 
together with the women and the other people. After Abram had returned from defeating Ketelomer and the kings allied with, allied with him, the king of Sodom, the king of Sodom uh, came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be, the, be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven, of heaven and earth. And blessed, blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Then kings, the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and the goods of your... Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will not accept anything belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I'll accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aner, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. And God, we just thank you that your word is alive, it's relevant. God, that it's what, exactly what we need. Holy Spirit, we just invite your special presence here today. Speak to all of, all of our hearts today so that when we leave here today, we will say, it is good that we have met with the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. The title of this morning's message is God Honoring Faith. The Bible calls Abraham the father of faith, and he put his faith in the one and the only and the true and living God. Did you know that there's only one and only true and living God? Did you know that? There is. There's only one. That's what the Bible says. Speaking of Abraham, Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says, And he, referring to Abraham, received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while he was still uncircumcised. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness may be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham before he was circumcised. So, Abraham is the father of our faith. He put faith as God is raising up a people for God. Every person on the planet lives by faith. But it's important who and what you put your faith in. The atheist lives by faith. He believes, she believes that there is no God. The humanist, that means, believes that man is the answer. He believes by faith. She believes by faith that man is the answer for mankind, that there is no God and we don't need God. We can live a secular life without God. There are endless philosophies, religions, and ideologies that put men and women, they put their faith in, but that faith is futile. It is not in the one and the only and the true and the living God. After the worldwide on a biblical faith, now faith is being sure. It's being sure of what we hope for and certain, being sure and certain of what we hope for and of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
And so, folks, the follower of Jesus Christ has faith in what the Bible says. How many believe the Bible is truth? How many believe it? it's a revelation from God? We believe that the Bible is true. We believe the Bible is God's revelation to mankind. We believe the Bible is truth, and let God be true, and let every man be a liar if it contradicts what God says, because God is true. We believe this. We believe that popular thought, ideologies, philosoph philosophies, that man uh, and man-made narratives, lifestyles, behaviors that contradict the truth uh, of the Bible as, God, as, as he has set forth in his word are completely false and that God is true. We believe what God has revealed to us about himself. We do not believe, we do not, uh, we do not believe what people say about God if it contradicts what God says about God is really the truth about God. Amen? We believe what God says about himself. The Christian has a biblical worldview. That is, we interpret the past, the, pe the present, the future, through the eyes of faith of what God says about it all. That is called a biblical worldview. This was shared just recently by George Barna, a new study from the Cultural Research Center at the Arizona Christian University that revealed that out of 1,000 U.S. pastors polled, only 30% believe in a biblical worldview. 41% of senior pastors, 28% of associate pastors, 13% of teaching pastors, 12% of children's or youth pastors had a, a, a biblical view, worldview, and only 4% of executive pastors had a biblical worldview of the 1,000 that were surveyed. 63% had a syncretism of other beliefs mixed in with their biblical beliefs. Folks, that is not good. That is not good. We believe what the Bible says and that they are absolute truths for all generations until Jesus comes back. We believe that. God's word is absolutely true for all generations. And folks, it's not to be changed. It's not to be diluted or added to or subtracted from. If we don't believe that the Bible is 100% true and relevant, then why even preach or teach it at all? If, if science contradicts the knowledge of the creator, the Bible, I will believe what God says rather than what the world would say. If our educational processes con contradicts what God says, then I will believe what God says in his word. We enter our relationship with Christ by faith through grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Praise God. Not by works. We can't earn our way to heaven so that no one can boast. None of us can boast. We begin in absolute faith in what God says, and we finish our journey, our faith with Christ, with absolute faith as well. We move and we grow from faith to faith. We learn to trust God and we grow. We mature in our relationship with Christ. Spiritual health, health is this, is when we have an ever-increasing faith in the Lord that can, be, that can be tested and proven through life experience. As we walk in obedience with God, we discover that what God says is true and that it's best and that it works and that it's real. It works in life and it agrees. Hebrews 11, chapter, six, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 says, and without faith. It's impossible to please God. 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Pursuing God. I hope you're pursuing the Lord this week between Sundays. I hope you're in the word. I hope you're praying. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are to move from faith to faith. A man named Charles Price, a great healing evangelist of yesteryear, he said this, faith acts, A-C-T-S, acts, but the act of faith, uh, the act comes from faith and not faith from the act. Our father, uh, Abraham, is the father of faith. Abraham, we watch his life, he moved from faith to faith. He was not a perfect man. We, we, Pastor Josh has been preaching on that. You know, none of us are perfect. That's why we need Jesus. Thank the Lord for that. We have the Lord. And, but as we've seen in past weeks, Abraham is growing more and more in his faith. More and more, he acts as he acts it out. And in what God says, He's, God says something and he does it. See, that's what the Lord wants. He wants faith, obedience. Faith moves out in actions. God, Abraham heard God's voice and obeying God, he was led out of his hometown, uh, the Ur of, of the Chaldeans, where they worshiped the moon god called Sin, Sin, S-I-N. As we look at Abraham's uh, life, I want us to notice the fact that Abram's faith was always on the move. I went to North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. I crammed four years into five and graduated there. <laughs> and um, uh, our president, E.M. Clark, he always said, students, always be in a place of faith where it's you and God, where you're believing God for some character. Maybe it's something he's asking you to do. Maybe it's witnessing to that person for the first time. Maybe it's something, whatever righteous act, whatever act of obedience, because the Lord was testing his heart if he would do anything for him, and then the Lord provided a substitute, a ram in the bush, and he sacrificed the ram instead. And that ram is a, is a type and a symbol of Jesus Christ, who is the living sacrifice, the perfect lamb of God, sinless, who gave his life in our place. That's a, a foreshadow of Jesus, sacrifice for our sins. Let me ask you today, is your faith moving? Is your faith moving? Are you moving from faith to faith. Faith is like a muscle. You've got to exercise it. I know you see the, the, the massive bill that I have here. But we have to exercise our faith. We really do. Um, we are to be in a place of faith every day, as I've said. Are you in an active mode where you are doing what he commands and what he teaches you? That's where God wants us. The Bible says wherever we use, whenever we use our faith, whenever we believe God and act on what he says, it is credited to us as righteousness. It's credited to us as righteousness. In chapter 14 in Genesis, we see Abraham grow, continuing to grow in his faith. And as I prepared this message, um, I see in this passage, I said, Lord, just give me one, one common theme in this, in this passage, and it was honor. God honoring faith. And that's the title of this morning's message, God honoring faith. What does honor mean? Honor means this, to set a price on that is a value, something value, something of high regard, something that you respect. The highest regard, the highest respect on who God is, his character, and what he says, what he values. That is God honoring faith. We are to make weighty the words that God says to us in his word. 
were to weigh them heavily, to put great value upon them more than anything else. So I, when I read the Word of God, I have to make a judgment and say, well, I don't really agree with that, but God says that, so there has to be truth in that because He really loves me, so I have to accept what He says, and I have to discover what that truth is in there because God's going to teach me something through that. Does that make sense? Okay, we have to. We have to, we have to let the Lord be our teacher. The Holy Spirit will help us. Eli the priest, back in the Old Testament, disobeyed God by allowing his sons to break the commands of God when he knew better. This is the high priest of Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 29, it says, Why do you honor your sons more than me? This is the Lord talking to Eli. By fattening your calves on the choice parts of every offering make, uh, made by my people Israel. So here, Eli is honoring his sons more than what God had instructed him to do in his word about the sacrifices and how they were be, to be performed. Jesus said this in chapter 5 of John, verse 23. He said that all my people may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who does not honor, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus came to this earth as the living word, the Logos. And he's saying this to the unbelieving Jews. He's addressing unbelieving Jews. He says, if you do not honor or respect my words, the living word of God, the Logos, and who I say, say I am, and what I am teaching and commanding, you are at the same time not honoring your heavenly Father. That's what he's saying there. Here's the thought I want you to understand. Faith honors God every time we believe him and obey him. Our faith honors him. If my father, earthly father said, Joey or Joe, I want you to do this. When I come home, they better be done. If I honored his word, then I will have done it. If I dishonored his word, then I would not have done it. See, I would weigh heavily. I'm going to get, get disciplined if I don't do this, okay? And a good sense of healthy fear of the Lord is a good, you know? Um, God loves us so much, he disciplines us. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's, that's Bible. Okay, in our limited time today, I want to... Briefly as I can, highlight three areas where Abraham, by faith, honored God. And, um, and the first thing that we see here, and I want us to note these three in, the, in this chapter, and I believe that these three things, that we can make really good applications to our life today. I want to bring home what is there in ancient times to today where we're at. And so let's look at these three areas. The first of all, in this passage, we see that Abraham, he honored God, by honoring his family. He honored God by honoring his family. Abraham exercised God-honoring God faith for his family. We, we will not read verses 1 through 10 again, okay? Um, that's the Kazuntite uh, uh, verses there. Okay, all the kings and that. But here's the situation. I want to explain it to you because it's kind of complex. Abraham, this is what Abraham found himself in. Um, it is a situation... Mind you, he did not choose. He didn't choose this. How many of you have ever gotten in the situations you didn't choose? Raise your hand. Okay, only a couple. Wow. Man, you guys are controlled. Man, I want to... Let's told in, in Genesis 3, 18, is living in a town by faith in, in Hebron, okay, in the land of Canaan, where God told him to go. His Amorite neighbors. And uh, Abraham's living in their land. Okay, everybody got that? All right, so the very safest place to be. Because the truth, uh, but that truth doesn't mean that there's not going to be trouble, okay? 
And let me just tell you, the safest place for you to be is doing what God wants you to do. No matter where in the geographical world you are. When we went to Sudan, people would say to Linda and I, aren't you afraid to go there? That's pretty dangerous there. It's a militaristic state and people are getting killed. They just had a 20-year war and all these things. You don't listen to that. You listen to the Lord and you go. That's the safest place to be, folks. That's the safest place to be. Could God call somebody into the worst part of, of Chicago or into the worst part of the Bronx or somewhere else to, to do the call of God? Would that be the safest place for them to go then? Absolutely. Absolutely. So we need to obey the Lord. So here he is. Here he is. And uh, prior to Abraham living in Hebron, uh, four Mesopotamian kings from the north, they were kings of city-states, attacked and defeated five kings who ruled city-states to the south, on the Jordan Dead Sea Plain area to the south. City-state where there's a big city, there's a wall around it, there's a king in there, there's a people and the people around it, city-state. Everybody got that? So that's what's going on. And one of the city-states was Sodom, and that is where nep uh, Abraham's nephew Lot moved to. That's where he went. So these five city-states had, and from the south, had to pay tribute to taxes and taxes every year to the four Mesopotamian kings in the north who defeated them. That's why they had to pay them, because they were defeated. So after paying for 12 years, they said, phooey, we don't want to pay this anymore. And um, so they rebelled and on the 13th year. And to make a long story short, the four Mesopotamian kings didn't like that. Okay, kind of like today. And so march, they marched their army, and what happens? The five kings lose the battle again. And, they, and, and their armies, they get in the tar pits, and they flee, and they're running. It's like, Head for the hills. They're, they're gone. All right? So in the process, Abraham's family is affected. Okay? And this is where we pick the story up now in chapter 14 and verse 11 and 12 of Genesis. We'll read those again. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abraham's uh, nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So then verse 13, we won't read that, but an escapee gets, flees the battle, comes to Abraham, tells him everything that happens. And then during Abraham's, uh, I want you to know this, during Abraham's time, extended family, and it could be still true for many of your families, extended family was very important, all right? That's kind of breaking up a little more in our culture now. But uh, we, we, carried, we, we, we carried about aunt, uh, aunts and uncles and nephews and nieces and all, all these things uh, and nieces and all, all these things, uh, we're, we're kind of breaking up in that in our culture right now. Do you know what I'm saying? You know, close, close family units, those are good things. God wants us to have a close family unit. And those are good. But anyway, during this time, in this Mideastern culture, very closely knit together, and in Abraham, he did what was right. He did the righteous thing, and he did the honorable, responsible thing, he quickly pulls together, 300, pulls together 318 battle-trained men from his household. And this indicates he probably had 1,000 people in his household. And convinces his, ally, his uh, neighbors that he had allied with, uh, allied with uh, Mamre, Eshkol, and Aner, to come with them and to join them in the fight. So that's, what, that's what's going on here. And so in Genesis chapter 14, verse 15 and 16, we'll pick it up again. Let's read those. During that, the night... Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them. God helped him. God, 
God gave him grace and strength. Okay, he chickened out with Pharaoh, but now, you know, he said, my wife's my sister, but now he's rising up and, and he's pursuing them. He went as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovers all the goods and brought back his relative. This is, this is a very bold thing to you. Abraham and that we honor the biblical view of the institution of the family as God designed it. There's a lot of confusion over what a family is today in our society. The truth is God made the family and folks, he designed it beautifully. He designed it beautifully. He defined what a family is. He designed a man to marry a woman, to bear children and then train them up in the ways of the Lord to raise godly offspring so that his name would be honored. And trust in him can find fulfilling and satisfying in relationships. As I say these things, I want you to know as a pastor, I, I, I want to talk about some things. It's, it's hard, but folks, there's some issues happening in our culture today, don't you think? And the church has to talk about it. Let there be no white elephants. But let me just share is that God teached and teaches us from the Bible that he created only two genders, a man and a woman. I say this with all the love in my heart. <laughs> only a man and a woman. Naturally speaking, this just makes common sense. The design guarantees the survival of the human race. No scientific alterations are needed. The design made a healthy, provides a healthy environment for children to be raised when Jesus Christ is the center of the home. Children are best adjusted, well-adjusted, when they have a loving mother and father that they raise their children in and model a loving relationship between themselves and love their children, a loving relationship with their children. This is the ideal loving security that God wants for every home. Now, God does not have that in every home because God has given us a free will. I understand that. I understand that. Everybody has a choice. And in the United States, we have a constitution that says we have a choice to believe what we do. Okay? But the thing is this, is that we are being challenged in this time and this day. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says this. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. Jesus reinforced this family uh, position, family authority in the New Testament as well. The Bible teaches, this is the biblical worldview of the family, the parents are the ones to teach their children about faith, about God, okay? And that there are other God-given rights and authority. They're the ones to teach. God has given you parents that wonderful Beautiful. Teach your child. And the church is here to compliment you. And thank you for bringing your, your children to church. Look what Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 9 says. It says this. Love the Lord your God with all Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. All in. All in. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. He's speaking to moms and dads. Talk about them 
when you sit at home. I hope you're talking about Jesus at home. Look at, and when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. We have read this morning from Genesis chapter 14 about the situation with Abraham and that he found himself in. Folks, we find ourselves in a situation in our world today that we did not choose. We have a right to believe what we believe. But folks, there are influences, there are ideology, ideologies, there are narratives upon children, people at the schools, whether they know Jesus or not. I love any type of person that has any kind of belief that contrary to God, I love their soul and I reach out to them and I win them to Jesus with God's help. Amen? That's what we do. That's what we do. It's not arrogance. They have a choice to remain where they are or they can choose to follow Jesus. But I encourage people to attend the school board meetings and be aware of what's being taught about the curriculum and the subjects. I encourage parents to talk about what they learned at school uh, it, with their children. And here's the reality of what is happening in our nation today. Parental authority is being challenged and undermined more and more. When children are taught in school that they have, have the right to determine what their gender is and their parents don't have a say-so in this, this is an invasion of the Christian faith and the truth. Many teachers are instructed today to no longer use gender pronouns. Your children may come back like my work associated shop one day said, my little boy came and said, why is this boy dressed up like a girl? You have to address those things. You have to talk about those things. Those are things that are happening. Many teachers are instructed not to use gender pronouns, not to influence a child about their gender identity. At the age of seven, they are told they can make a choice. Folks, that's not the role that they have. Education's role is to prepare them to read, to write, and prepare them for life, but not to, not to invade the faith of the Christian child and to undermine your authority. You are the one that is to raise. If, if you do not raise your children, somebody else will. And you have to make that decision. You really do. I encourage Christians and all parents to find out what critical race theory is and understand how it is opposed to biblical thinking. Do not get caught up in the narrative that promotes division and racial hatred. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. A person is not racist because of the color of their skin, and they're hopelessly racist and can never overcome that because, just because of the skin that God gave them. That doesn't mean they're racist. We, we are taught that all have come from Adam and Eve, and all nations have come from there. But don't get caught up in the narratives that try to divide. How many know what I'm talking about? Fight, not physically, for Christian values in your home. Have courage to be strong for, in the Lord, and if you do, you'll be God honoring what God honors. If you do, you'll be putting to the highest... It takes courage, it takes faith to honor what the Lord teaches about what a family really should be. Biblical truth is a controversy to the unbelieving world, but not to the follower of Jesus who really knows what the Bible says and teaches. Let me share something very positive right now. You know, I, it, it can be depressing when you think about these things, but we have the joy of the Lord as our strength. And the Bible talks that 
in the last days that things will turn dark. But you know, we are to be the light and the salt of the earth. And you know what? I believe this with all my heart. I believe this. I'm in my 60s. I believe that even now, the harvest field, people that know Jesus, they are, they are desperately searching for things because these things are not fulfilling. And people are looking. I believe people are more ripe to receive Jesus Christ than ever before. Amen? I believe that. Share Jesus with people. Share with Jesus. Share Jesus Christ with people. The times demanded Abraham to make intervention for his family, and he honored God by doing what is right. Secondly, this is like a second sermon. Uh, Abraham honored God by honoring the tithe. He honored God by honoring the tithe. Genesis 14, 17 through 20. After Abram returned from defeating King uh, Ketalomer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. Then God Most High is blessed by him. And who is Melchizedek? We don't have time to go into that. But we know that his name means that in gratitude of God's help for his help to defeat God's, uh, these five kings. So this is what we do when we tithe. When we tithe. We are showing to God our principle. When we tithe, we are worshiping the Lord. Honoring him with the tenth part of our total income. We tithe our 10% and then God blesses the 90% that remains. And your vats will brim over with new wine. In Genesis 14, 20, we see it, this in the first time in tithing is mentioned. Have you ever been without wage? Maybe you're like me. There's been times, even the last couple of years, when I've had to go on unemployment. There's times when I just didn't have enough. When, I planted, when we planted the church in Marengo, we didn't have enough food one time. And we prayed and God sent a Schwan man said, God just put this on my heart. And he dropped off food. When I was in North Central Bible College, I was there and uh, moved from McHenry. It's only 3,300 people. There I am in the big city of Minneapolis. It's cold. It's in November. And all I had was granola and applesauce. And I missed it together. And I just knelt down and I said, I was having a pity party. I'm sorry. And I said, God, I'm only here because you want me here. Would you... I need some food. I'm, I'm not lying. Did it say, are there any laws that, uh, I'm trying to edit everything in my, my sermon here. It said, am I not to pray in the name of Jesus? And, and he, she said, no. She said, we're just asking you not to do that. I said, well, there are no laws then. I said, well, I want you to know. I'm going to come down, gladly come down, and I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. And I got there and I prayed in the name of Jesus. I don't wear that as a put down to someone. God honoring faith with your family. Honor the Lord with God honoring faith in with your, with your stewarding your finances. And honor the Lord and his name. His name is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. We've run out of time. Would you bow your head and just close your eyes just for a second? No one looking around. Is there anyone here today? And you say, you know, if I were to die today, I don't know if I, my sins are forgiven. Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. If there's anyone here this morning to say, I want to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I want my sins forgiven. I want to know I'm going to heaven. Raise your hand right now. Let me see. Let me see. I see one that has their hand up over on the left. I see another in the back. Okay, anyone else? Say, I want to accept Jesus Christ. Two have raised their hands. 
Okay, you may put your hand down if you've raised it up. Thank you. Acknowledge that hand over in the back there. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? You say, I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the one who loves me so much, the one that's died for my sins, who died in my place, paid the price for my sins. Anyone today? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Let's, let's pray the prayer. We're going to pray a prayer of salvation. We're all going to pray this together at Church and Rock. Let's all do this together. Just repeat after me after these two have raised their hands to accept Christ in their heart. Let's, let's, let's do that right now and let's ask the Lord and pray this prayer by faith. We enter salvation by faith. We're putting our faith in the name of Jesus, in his broken body, in his shed blood for the forgiveness of our sins and for a new life. That's what we're doing. Let's repeat this prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I acknowledge my need of you. I confess that I'm a sinner. I believe what Jesus has done for me, that he died for my sins on the cross. I put my faith in him. I received Jesus Christ as my Savior and as my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person, the one that you created me to be, to fill, fulfill your life and purposes for my life, your plans for my life. I accept this now. I know I'm forgiven. I ask it all by faith. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Amen. Right now, we want to move into communion. And I know it's been a very, uh, many things we had to do today. Um, if you uh, have a cup and the bread in your possession there, if you, the only requirement at Church in the Rock to receive communion is that you've accepted Jesus Christ. So those who have accepted the Lord this morning, you have the privilege of taking communion for the very first time. We are acknowledging the blood, the bread and the blood. The bread represents the body. The blood is represented by the, the juice, the grape juice in the cup. And we're acknowledging this fact. Jesus said, to never forget, do this in remembrance of me. Never forget what he, did, what he did for us on the cross, that he broke his body. He was tortured in our place. He took the wrath of our sins that our sins deserved, the judgment our sins deserved upon himself. And he was a substitutionary sacrifice for us. The Lord wants us to remember that. That's one of the ordinances of the church, that we remember what Jesus has done for us. Does everybody... Um, have the bread in the cup that uh, been served that wants to take communion? Raise your hand if you did not. We'll make sure that you got. Okay. All right. Let's hold the bread up right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the body of Christ. Lord, this is not the actual body, but the symbol, Lord, of your broken body. We thank you that through your body we find healing, that through the stripes of Jesus Christ we are healed. Father, we ask that you bless this bread. God, as we remember what you've done for us and as we worship you, acknowledging you as our Savior and Lord, 
bless the bread as we partake together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. And we thank you, Jesus. And we just bless you and praise you, God. Thank you for all your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. It says, after the bread in the upper room, he took the cup also, saying, this is my blood shed for the remissions of sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. And I've got to get my, uh, mine is not peeling off very good here. I'm going to have to stick my glasses in there and get that little thing up there. You guys, am I the only one that has these problems in life? Okay, all right. All right. If I hire someone to do this, there'll be a cover charge. All right. Amen. All right. Let's stand and let's take the cup together as we stand. Let's hold the cup high that was shed for us. Your sinless blood, you paid in full. God, we know that the covenant that we've made to you in the blood, that we are not our own, that we've been bought with a price. God, we will hold the banner of Jesus high in our nation and with our families. Bless this cup. As we partake together, we remember the cross in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Thank you, Lord. We just worship you. We just bless you. And we just thank you, God, for all that you've done and give you praise in Jesus' name. I would like to ask the prayer team to come up right now. We're going to formally dismiss in a moment. We're going to turn over to Sydney. If you, Christian parents or anybody, God has stirred your heart for prayer, they're going to meet you up front here now. Just come forward and then they're going to pray with you. We'll formally dismiss, but we're not dismissing prayer or seeking the Lord. God bless you. Sydney.
Exhausted.